And as I did in the first service, Robin, get up here. I want you to show, I want to show you something. <laughs> Let it glisten in the light, people. And Steve. And Steve. Oh, there he is. Good job, man. Good job. <laughs> no, that's a happy, uh, good news that's come our way as a church family, and we're happy for you too, very much. In the last uh, little while, we have been uh, considering... Uh, this, this issue of our identity in Christ, and my contention has been to you that what the Bible says so absolutely clearly is when we understand who we are, it will transform us. Uh, false identities, a, a sense of self that we often embrace that's not of God can and will cause us to live a particular way that will keep us from the fullness of life in Jesus. And we just got to identify those false identities, jettison them from our minds, and embrace who we are and live according to that reality. We will live according to the reality when we know who we are in Him. And I've given you a couple of uh, sermons in the, in the series, which I hope have really made an impact. And, and it's, it's good news stuff. I've said to you, you are the children of God if you are in Christ. If you have, have come to Him by faith, if you are um, one who has been united with Christ, and we talked about that reality. If you are in Christ, you are a precious child of God, loved by the Father. It's an incredible truth that can transform and change lives. Then we talked last week about being a friend of Jesus. He said, you, I no longer call you slaves, I call you my friends, for I have shared with you everything the Father has revealed to me. And we talked about the secret, uh, secrets of the kingdom that God has revealed even to us, my friends, by the work of his Holy Spirit, which people for, from ages past longed to know, but didn't know. The thing that God has done for us in Christ and what he continues to do. Uh, and he says, Bear fruit. Know who you are. And from John 15, go let your life thrive for him. And I, ho I hope, too, that has inspired you. I'm going to share something with you today that I don't think, at least at first blush, will inspire you. I'm going to talk about an identity to, uh, that we have in Christ that my guess is for many people today, you're going to push back hard against. And instead of making you feel all warm and fuzzy inside, you're going to say, Chris, I don't know if I'm going there. For some, it might even be offensive. Um, because of our understanding of, of what I'm going to describe to you, that we, the understanding, again, we bring to Scripture rather than allowing Jesus to communicate to us the true meaning of it, because of what we, we in our minds and in our hearts think about this thing that Jesus describes to us. I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 17, verses 7 to 10, and define to you what I'm speaking of. Jesus telling a parable to his disciples when a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal, put on your apron and serve me while I eat, then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Now, I read that to you in the translation in which I read it to you. And it sounds, okay, we are servants of Christ. And I don't often talk about Greek and Hebrew to you on a Sunday morning. I had a prof say, you know, understand it, but you don't need to talk about it all the time. It's very often a distraction more than it is anything else. But I'm going to tell you today what the word servant, and you've seen it numerous times in the passage, is in Greek. And the word in Greek is doulos, and quite literally, it doesn't mean servant. It means Slave slave. 
What the passage brings to is, if we were to go right back to what Jesus said, is in the same way when you obey me, you should say we are unworthy slaves who have simply done our duty. So how does that sit with you? You know, the reality is that, 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 that you sit back and you, and you hear the Lord Jesus himself saying that we are ex- slaves and that we exist to do what our master tells us to do. In this culture, it's a, it's a hard sell. There's something in us that starts to fight back against this. There's something in us that says, I don't want to hear that. Oddly enough, uh, you know, when, when we ask the question, are we slaves of Christ? The answer, biblically speaking, is yes. We are, if indeed we are in Christ. And we have to understand, and I'm going to help unpack this for you, and I hope I can help you get beyond the offense and the resistance to the word of God, because that's what it is. But one of the things we have got to do is understand is that Jesus is speaking a parable, and parables are a particular means of communicating truth, which bring to us a singular focus, a singular truth. And, and what we have to do is to find that truth and take hold of it in order to know what God is saying to us. For example, here, the master in this story seems kind of mean. You know, the slave works all day in the fields and comes in, and, and, and you know, the question is, well, would a master not have this person sit down and enjoy the meal with him? And he says, no, no, you go cook my meal, you serve me, and after I'm all fed and watered and we're all happy and we're pla- pleased about, you know, I'm, my needs are taken care of, then you can eat. That sounds kind of mean, doesn't it? I want to say to you, you might think that's intended to represent God, but it's not. That's not really what the parable is about. The parable is about us and who we are in Jesus. So we've got to understand, first of all, the mechanism that Jesus is using to bring us something, I would suggest to you, that is really very significant and remarkable. Um, what we have to do understand, too, is that, that, um, that we're, Jesus is speaking here to his disciples, and what he's doing is using something that was incredibly common in their day, Many, 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 many households had slaves. They had people who were owned by them, who would do the work of the master. In this instance, it's in the field, and then when they would come home at night, they would serve the meal, and whenever, when the master's needs were all taken care of, then they would eat themselves. This was, this was the, the, the stuff that was uh, uh, of the culture. The, the disciples, when they heard this, they, Jesus asked the question, should the master you know, thank the person for working all day and then have him sit down? The disciples would go, no. That would be ridiculous. Why would he even ask the question? That's nuts. That's not how it works. They knew how it worked in their day. So there was, there was something that Jesus is tapping into that they would understand and, 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 and they would resonate with. But the point I would suggest that they were hearing in this instance is that, yes, you, my followers, are slaves. You know, you are people who, who uh, exist to do the work of the master, You know, you are people who exist for God to serve his interests. Um, And it's not unique to this passage. Jesus essentially says this in lots and lots of places. When you understand that the word servant, so translated, literally means slave. You know, for example, in in Matthew, I think it's chapter 6, Jesus is talking about, you know, loving money as opposed to loving God. And he said, you know, no slave can serve two masters. You're going to love one and, and hate the other. You can't do both. But he's talking about this identity again. John chapter 13, he has just taken off his robe and he has washed the disciples' feet as slaves would in the day. A paid servant probably wouldn't do it. It was considered too lowly, disgusting. Slaves were required generally to do that. 
And he washed their feet as, if you would, taking the role of a slave upon himself. And then he comes to them and he, and he basically says, you know, um, let me get this for you. Now you do the same for no slave is greater than his master. He's saying, I'm the master, you're the slave. Now you do what I've just done for you. Um, it's kind of shocking stuff to people with North American ears and North American history and North American understanding. But it's there. Um, you know, we're, we react to this idea, but we, what we have to do is say, Lord Jesus, what's being communicated in the text? What are you saying? Let me say it to you in this way. Number one, the clear statement, not only of the text, but of all of Scripture, is that we belong to God. The Bible says that the earth is His, for He created it. And everything in it belongs to Him. And that includes us. The Bible says that he knit us together in our mother's womb. That he was there. We've talked about this in recent weeks. That, we, that he observed the formation of our, of our being in our mother's womb. That he created us. And that as a result, we are his. Um, the reaction kind of goes something like this. But, but this cannot be... <laughs> You know, this can't be because slavery is wrong. It is wrong for one human being to own another human being. And doesn't Galatians say that in, in Christ, and that's the key phrase that we are building, building this whole teaching on, that in Christ there is neither male nor female, Greek or, or, um, or Jew, uh, slave or free. Isn't it this teaching that's helped us get rid of slavery? Isn't it this idea that has caused us just to reject the whole thing? Can't be. And I want to tell you that's true. It is wrong for one human being to own another human being. It's clearly taught in Scripture. But my friends, I want to tell you too that we are not talking about human relationships here. We are talking about our relationship with the living and the almighty and the all-powerful God who created everything we know. And we belong to God as a result of our creation. And too, I want to tell you, the Bible says that we belong to the Lord because of his death on our behalf. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians 6, 18 to 20. Paul's talking to a church which is troubled. They're engaging in sexual behavior that is beyond the pale for those who are Christ's. And he finishes the passage with these verses. Run from sexual sin. <laughs> Just run away from it. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does. For sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? who lives in you and was given to you by God. And then this, you do not belong to yourself. Wow. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. What he's saying, Jesus Christ died on the cross to purchase you. He shed his blood that you, if you're in Christ, might be his. And what he says so, so clearly, it's not ambiguous that we are not our own. And Paul says, as he's writing to these people to, to help them understand what really he's getting at, these bodies of yours, these physical things in which the Spirit of God now dwells, don't think of them as your own, but as Christ's possessions of the living God. So honor him and how you use them sexually. Um... What does this mean? In the end, it means that God is our master, that God is in charge, 
that we are his. And as the parable so clearly communicates, we exist to serve him, to obey him in all he says, to submit to him in all we do. Everything. This, my friends, is an incredibly significant part of our being in relationship to him. It's part of our discipleship. You know, another way we might struggle with this whole idea is because it runs so incredibly counter to our cultural, culture's view of self. I don't think I've ever preached a sermon that's so countercultural. It's going to cause people to push back, to resist, because the culture has a powerful effect. See, the culture has told us a view of self. It has given us a view of self, and it can be maybe caught up in these words. I'm an independent individual. Um, I make my own decisions. I am free to do what I want. It's part of the clarion, clarion cry of the culture in North America, individual freedom. And in essence, I am the one to be served, not the one to do the serving. This is a deeply ingrained belief that exists, that, that exists in our minds which says the world is and it exists in order to serve me and my need, my interests, to take care of me and to do what I want done. And I think we engage in a lot in life where we have that very point kind of wired into our brains. You know, think about when people might choose to get married. Why do we marry? Well, you know, when we're kind of in that exalted, idealistic frame of mind, say, well, I'm in love and I want to marry this person. I want to spend the rest of my life with this person. There they are over there, the happy couple. Yeah. (laughs) But is there anything in our minds we marry thinking, this is going to be good for me? I'm going to have somebody to be my companion all my life. I'm going, to, I'm going to be in a relationship where that person exists to serve my needs. They can do good things for me. They can take care of me. I'm not going to be alone anymore. I want to tell you, once you move into marriage and you have the mentality somewhere at play back here that you think that that person is in the marriage for your benefit and exists to serve your needs, and especially when the other person in the relationship thinks the same thing, you are walking into troubled waters. Because two people are asking the other person to do what neither of them wants to do. And the, and, and the tenor of the word of God with marriage comes at us, and it says exactly the opposite thing, that we enter into a relationship with one another in marriage in order to love as Jesus loved, to sacrifice ourselves for the benefit of the other, to deny ourselves that the other person might know life and goodness and joy and love. I want to tell you, when two people go into a marriage relationship and exist in a marriage relationship with the expressed intent to love the other, marriages thrive. And they're beautiful and they are blessed. But in our thinking, no, it's about me and my needs. Think about the the idea about bringing that sort of thinking, I would suggest, from our culture, and can I say it too, from our human nature into our experience of faith. Why do a lot of people initially come to Christ? Why do they come into this relationship with Jesus? Um, and, and I don't want to disparage this or condemn this because at the front end of the journey uh, of faith and our relationship with God, this is almost the only place it can begin. It can't stay here, but it begins here. People come into a relationship with Jesus and say, because I want him to forgive my sin and I want him to be, come into my life, Holy Spirit entering into our body, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is going to be with us to take care of us, to provide for us, to protect us, to guide us, to love us. 
God is in my life, someday he's going to take me to heaven. Whose interests are being served? Me. My sin gets forgiven, you know? Uh, God is with me to help me in all of those different ways, and someday when my life on this earth ends, I'm going to heaven. It's all about me. I want to tell you, my friends, sometimes, you know, when, again, at the early stage of the, of the Christian journey, when we're young in faith, um, why do people pray? Why do people pray? Can I suggest a lot of people at this end of the journey prayed to get stuff out of God? God, I have this need, and I want you to do this for me, and if you could take care of that, and a bit of a crisis here, could you, could you, could you, could you, could you? Because I want you to take care of my needs. Um, think about it. Why do, why do people come to worship service like this on a Sunday morning? <laughs> why? Well, that pastor is a phenomenal speaker. No, I know you're not thinking that. <laughs> no, but I come to church on a Sunday morning because I want to hear the word of God. You know, I want to be blessed. I love the, the band and I love the singing. It encourages my heart. It strengthens me for the week. It enables me to get out there and make a difference to succeed in what I do, and it's all about the me and the, and the self. Can I, can I say to us here, IPC, and I want, keep your hearts and minds open in this stuff. That's what I'm asking you, okay? Stay open on this. We, we can't come, biblically speaking, into this place just for our own benefit. We come into this place to be in the presence of God, and we come here for Him, to recognize again who He is, to recognize what He has done for us, especially in the, in the death and resurrection of Jesus, and to praise Him and to bring Him glory and to honor Him. It's not about you. And it could be that you, you know, you're, you're kind of down here, uh, and, and I'm just pushing you. I'm not pushing you. Jesus is pushing us. And he's saying, take a step. Grow up in this faith. Understand the dynamic and the reality of what we're about. Now let's go backwards. We're called to pray. But I want to tell you, prayer doesn't primarily exist so you can get stuff out of God. Prayer exists so that you can go into the presence of the living God. And as you dwell in Scripture and as you encounter Him, He opens our minds to understand His will that we might pray it. Whose will? His will. We get into the presence of God in prayer so that we can discover what God wants in this world so that we can pray for it and then live for it so that it becomes a reality so that God's purposes are accomplished. Not ours. And then the whole idea of coming to Jesus. <laughs> I think a lot of people start there because that's where they're at. But what, why are we in relationship with God? We're not in relationship with God to get stuff out of Him. We're in relationship with God as we mature in this faith to come to this place where we recognize, man, my life is all about you, my master, my king, my God, and my life exists to serve your purposes. I almost feel like bowing as I say that. Did you notice? Because we're bowing in the presence of the king and we're yielding ourselves and our interests and our purposes, we're sacrificing them, we're laying them at the, at the cross. You've heard all of these things, haven't you? In order that the work and the will of God might be done. Wake-up call. This, this passage is like a dramatic wake-up call. Jesus speaks this to his disciples, and they might have gone, we're what? And he speaks, his, speaks it into our lives today, and some of you might be going, we're what? Slaves? And Jesus says, yes, you are. Because God is God, and you're not. You see, very often in what I just described, we think God exists to serve us. I want to tell you, my friends, God does not exist to serve you as if he's the servant and we're God. You get that? 
We exist to serve him. We are the slaves. We are the servants. We exist to serve the one who is the creator and redeemer of the world. None of that shocks you or offends you or blows you away, but I hope it does something profound. Because when you take hold of that idea, you know what? Everything will change. You will not think the same way and you will not live the same way when you come to terms with who you are in Christ as his slave. I mean, I've been going here. I don't know where I am in my notes. You know what? You know what people can do in terms of response to this? I think there are probably lots and lots of responses, but I think there are three things that people experience in light of this biblical truth. Number one is they live in ignorance of it. It's possible that Christian people can live in ignorance of this truth all of their lives. I think when a church is filled with such people, that, that church will be insipid. It'll be weak in the hand of God. It won't accomplish much for him, but it's possible. God exists for me. God look after me. God take care of all my needs. I'm God. <laughs> church is going nowhere. It's possible that people can hear this teaching of Jesus and um, uh, come along and, and basically say, you know, I hear it, but I don't, I'm not going to embrace it. I'm going to reject it. I'm not going to accept it in my life. The idea essentially is I'm going to serve myself and you say that I might be placing myself in the throne and considering myself God. Well, so be it. Um, but I expect people in this world and I even expect God himself to serve my interests. Some people are just going to fight hard and, and reject it entirely. I think there's a third option, and it's essentially this, that people hear the truth of God coming to them, and they embrace who they are in Jesus, and they live their lives as slaves to the God of heaven. Um, you see, this is a calling for us to see ourselves differently. This is a call to say, as, as, as Jesus says in the last verse, that we are unworthy servants do loss we are unworthy slaves who have simply done our duty we do what we do just because we've been told to do it it's who we are you know in the second world war there was a um of course the occupation of france and there was a little town in france called le chambon it's my best translation with french accent that i can develop and it was a Huguenot village, a Protestant village in France of about 3,000 people. And um, as the war progressed, and of course as Nazism under the power of Hitler began its ugliness and, and what it was doing, uh, these 3,000 people corporately decided that they would risk their lives in order to save what became 5,000 Jewish children. Uh, they were close to the Swiss border and they, would, they smuggled these kids across the border and after the fact, they were asked why on earth they would risk everything uh, in order to save people that they just didn't know. And their response uh, was this, essentially. We couldn't stand by and watch the innocent die. Couldn't do it. It was our God-given duty, mark the word, to resist evil and to do good. Um, you see, it was who they were. They did... <laughs> what they did out of an understanding of their identity in Christ and the call of their master to live in obedience to him. Another story, Martin Luther King, uh, the great civil rights leader of the mid-20th century who had such a profound 
effect on civil rights in the United States and indeed around the world. When he was 26 years old, a bunch of pastors, he himself was a pastor, um, convinced him to lead the Birmingham bus boycott. Um, and after he stood up and publicly said that he would do so and was doing so, he received many death threats, people calling him to tell him that they were going to kill him. One night a call came to his home and someone said, I'm going to bomb your home and I'm going to kill you and I'm going to kill your wife and I'm going to kill your infant daughter. And of course, this was troubling to, to Martin Luther King and he went to God in prayer and he stayed in prayer and he grappled with God and in the end he heard you know those moments, and I hope you hear those moments, here's the pr another purpose of prayer, to hear from God, and this profound truth impressed upon his mind, it came like a message from the Spirit of God to him, Martin Luther, stand up for righteousness, stand up for justice, stand up for truth, and lo, I will be with you to the end of the earth. Martin Luther King said when he heard that from God, he said this, I heard the voice of Jesus saying still to fight on. And he did. He went to bed that night, so he says, at peace with what, whatever would happen to him, and whatever might happen to his family, because you see, his master had spoken and told him what to do, <laughs> no matter what the cost, and he knew he had to do it, because that's who he was. See the nature of the relationship that I'm trying to unpack for you here today? The reality of what it means to be in relationship with Christ. Um, here's my question for you today, my friends. Do you know what you are to do as a slave of the Master? Um, you know, a lot of young people in our church and um, either are at or coming to a place where they are going to choose a spouse or they're going to choose a career. And normally the process would go something like this. Well, you know, um, I, th I think I'd like to become this. And, you know, you fill in the blank. I'd like to go to school because I'm pretty good at this uh, studying and I'm, I'm gifted here. And I think I'd just really love to do that. And, and I'd, you know, I'd love to, 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 to marry this girl or I'd love to marry that guy. You know, I'd, I, this is what I think was best for me. And as I think about all the options and all, you know, I think I want it. And along comes Jesus telling us that we're his slaves and that he's our master. And all of a sudden, all our reasons and wanting to do what we want to do fall away. Because ultimately, we are to do what the master calls us to do. And we are to become what the master tells us to become. And we are to marry who the master tells us to marry. Get that? Um... Sometimes, you know, you're given a, an opportunity for a job change. And our thinking might go something like, well, the benefits are better and I'd get more pay. Maybe even the hours are better, more convenient for my lifestyle. I think I'm going to do that. And we just go ahead, boom, it's done because it makes sense to us. But we have forgotten the reality that we are slaves of the master and the master's name is Jesus. And that we don't do what we do because we feel like doing it or because it makes sense to us. We do what we do because we've gone into his presence and we have discerned his will and we do what we do because he's called us to do it. See, this is the nature of discipleship. This is a passage about discipleship. A few verses prior to this, this parable, Jesus is talking about who we are to forgive, even though you might not feel like it. And then he's talking about the nature of faith and, 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 and what it means to have faith in him. And then he comes along to this identity question. He says, you know, stop living the way that you lived. Stop doing what you want because you think it's a good idea and start looking to me as your master and obeying me because you are my slaves. I get it that it shocks sensibilities. I get it that it's difficult to wrap our heads around this. 
But this is the word of God. This is the reality of what, what, what the Lord Jesus is saying to us. You know, I could go on and on about these various uh, examples or illustrations of what it means. You know, another one, I've talked to a bunch of people lately who, and not just here, but who have retired, and they're going, I don't know what to do with my retirement. You know, I, I don't know what to do with myself. You know? And the reality is they have time and they usually have resources at their disposal like never before, and they have energy if they're still young enough. Because, and the idea is like, well, I've I, I got to figure out what to do with my life now. Work consumed all that I did before, and now I don't have work. What am I going to do? You know who, who should tell you what to do? Your master should tell you what to do. You, should do. you should get into the presence of the king. And we, when that time comes, all of us need to get on our knees and say, Lord, I'm here, I'm your servant, I'm your slave. What do you call me to now, my God? And we need to get pretty obedient in the presence of our God. A couple of things that are really important as I start to wind down here. Number one is, sometimes our master calls us to do things that are really hard. Have you ever, uh, I mean, you read the passage, you know, imagine working hard in the fields all day long in the sun. This is Israel, remember, powerful sun beating down, difficult, challenging work. Happens here, I know, too, and we're not in, near the equator. <laughs> Can you imagine they're working all day long, and then you come in, and basically what you're, uh, it's not even told, it's just the assumption that now I'm going to make my master's dinner and I'm going to serve him at the table until all of his needs are met, then I'm going to make my dinner and I'm going to eat. It doesn't sound like a lot of fun. You know what? Sometimes serving the master, living in obedience to the master who has identified us as his slave isn't a lot of fun. It's hard. Um, I want to just use as an illustration what Benj and Bree are going to be doing in the next month or two, going to a faraway place, a hostile place to Christians. And I'm not using the name of it because that's not a good idea, as you know. And I want to tell you, a good number of people have said to me, I'd never do that. And I'm not going to add more detail, but I bet you a lot of you have thought it. I'd never do that. You know what I hope? With all of my heart, what I hope is that people who, who have said I would never do that would do it if their master told them to. Because they've come to recognize who they are and that Jesus is the master, he's the king, that he is the son of God, he is our Lord. And that we're his unworthy servants slash slaves who exist to serve his interests. You know what I think and... I, I think I could say this with some confidence, that we would all do more dramatic and significant things in life for the kingdom of God if we were open to hearing and obeying the voice of our master. And I ask you again, do you know what he's calling you to? See, for some, it might be the Lord Jesus saying, go to Nicaragua. Oh, I can't go to Nicaragua. That's a, that's a violent place. It's lawless. You know, they don't even speak English. <laughs> You know, and I've never been in a place like that before, and it's, you know, it's going to cost a lot of money. And I, 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 and Jesus says, I don't want to know what you think. I want you to know that I'm your master, and I'm your king, and I'm your Lord, and I want you to go to Nicaragua and to love poor, broken, needy people in my name. See how all of a sudden life gets simple? <laughs> it's not so hard. Some people here... 
might hear from the Lord Jesus and said, oh, you know, in that church that you're part of, I want you to serve and I want you to give your, give your life to serving me. And I want you to teach children about Christ, such as we have baptized today. I want you to, you know, tell people, uh, young people, teenagers about the Lord Jesus and lead them into a relationship with me. And a lot of people when it comes, or others, there's so much opportunity to serve, to bless the lives of others, to build the kingdom of God. A lot of people could say, but Chris, you don't know how busy I am. <laughs> if I could just pull out my calendar and show you, there's no time left. And it's really not convenient. And it would be difficult for me too. Let me tell you this, my friends. We don't squeeze the commands of our God into our lives. We allow those commands to form our lives. Can you hear me in that? It's not like we squeeze the commands of our master into those little extra spaces which we may or may not have in order to do what his bidding. We form our lives around his commands. And we live in obedience to what he calls us to because he has called us to it. You know, this is why Jesus once said to his disciples, why do you call me Lord, Lord, but do not do what I say? I mean, I think of that passage quite often and I read it occasionally and I speak it to you on occasion and I want to tell you, tell you every single time I do, it, it haunts me. Why do you call me Lord? Why do you give me place as master in your life? Why do you call me your king? Why do we, you worship me as your God, but you don't do what I tell you to do? It's a powerful thought. And in this passage, as in other passages, Jesus comes along in this wake-up call to his people, and he says, understand who you are, understand who I am, understand your relationship with me, and obey what I tell you to do. Because that is who you are. Last point, and this is critical to the discussion. And it is this, I think, which will most profoundly impact any sense of understanding of slavery that you bring to the text. And we can't do that. We can't bring our understanding to the text. We've got to allow the meaning of the text to emerge and impact us. But slaves of God, unlike the slaves who still are slaves around this world, the slaves of the southern states, the slaves of Britain in the 19th and 18th and 16th century and so forth, slaves of the living God are thrilled to be his slaves. You understand? Because they know they have a master who loves them passionately. They know they have a master who would never, ever mistreat them. They know that they are children of God and deeply loved. They know that they are friends of Jesus who has shared the secrets of the kingdom and called them to be fruitful. And they know that whatever Jesus calls them to do will produce a life of love and adventure and of joy and of blessing and of incredible abundance and fullness, Jesus' words, in what they do for him. For those who recognize that they are slaves of the master in this regard, there is no grudging or reluctant obedience. There is only a heartfelt and a willing obedience that produces unmitigated joy in their lives. That's biblical slavery, by the way. And it's something people, when they embrace it and discover it, love to be a part of. See, these people know that the will of God, whatever that will might be, is good, and it is perfect, and it is pleasing. And they want that more than anything else in life. 
So my friends, I ask you today, who are you? Who are you? Will you embrace the Christ-given identity of slave? Will you give up your rights and lay down your life at the cross and say to God, you speak and I will do? Will you say to Christ the King, you command and I will go? Will you allow your life to be transformed by an understanding of your identity that Jesus has brought to you today? And will you give him place of master, king, God? Will you be one who calls him Lord, Lord, and actually does then what he says that you should do? My friends, who you are you in Christ? You are a precious child of God. Precious to him. You are a friend of the Lord Jesus. He's brought you into his confidence and he's invited you into his ministry. And yes, you are a slave to the master named Jesus. That you might serve his purposes. That you might obey him in all he says that you might love him by doing so and find joy in his service. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, it grows out of our culture and it grows out of our human nature and it grows out of our ignorance. But Lord, there are times we just want you to serve us. And we come right now to confess that sin. To say for the times that we have just looked to you to serve our interests only. Lord, we've been wrong. And we confess it as wrong and we pray for your forgiveness now. And our Lord, we pray that we might be people who call you Lord. But unlike the people in your day who called you Lord but didn't do what you said, we pray that we might call you Lord and be obedient followers of yours. People who consider ourselves as your servants, your slaves, whose lives exist only to do the will of God Almighty. God, challenge us with this. If we need to grapple with it more, Lord God, we pray by your spirit you'll help us grapple. But we pray, our Lord, that this truth will seep into our souls the deepest part of who we are, and it will transform how we think about ourselves and in time how we live our lives. Lord Jesus, Master, King, Lord, Son of God, tell us what to do that we might do it. This we pray in your name.